0: Well, welcome to Christ Church. My name is Carrie Apel. We often don't say that, who our elders are, who gets up here, we just start preaching. But that is me. If I haven't got to meet you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Today is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to those in the room. Some of you have been fathers for so long, and some of you are new this year, so congrats on that. I know that that holiday sometimes welcomes some not-so-great memories and thoughts, and so we're going to pray over that as well uh, coming up here in the service. Uh, my dad's here, so that's a special gift to me. Did not know that he would be here, so dad, happy Father's Day. Um, it's also Juneteenth, and that is a historically uh, holiday that is celebrated by the African-American uh, people. Uh, the, we, we don't often celebrate that. That's not a holiday that is something that we typically do celebrate, but it has been nationally recognized and over the last few years definitely has brought a lot more exposure. And so we want to celebrate that. There's also a day I would encourage you, if you don't know much about that holiday, go read about it today. That would be some good space to go sit down and read what the Lord has done in the hearts of people and really how legislation has helped out and what that means for Texas specifically, starting in Galveston, Texas. And so a lot of cool history wrapped in today, not only with our dads, but also the state and all people, and it's definitely something to celebrate. And so we're going to be looking at First Timothy. So how do you make that gap, right? But what First Timothy is about is we're celebrating what the Lord has done. There's lots to celebrate, not only today, but every day, every Sunday that we walk in this room, we celebrate the freedom that really the Lord has given to us through Jesus Christ. And so that is what the book of First Timothy is about. It's Paul reminding Timothy Do not forget the celebration that we have. Do not forget what the Lord has done on our behalf. And then I just want to let you know that I'm going to change the order of the service slightly, and I don't think that affects really most of us, but um, if you typically bring your kids in at the end for prayer and communion, I'm going to add prayer onto the end of my sermon. So that's really the only change. So I just want to let you know so you're not caught off guard. If you need to walk kids out or bring kids in... uh, feel free to do that. But before we get kicked off, let me pray, and then we will read God's word together. God, I thank you for this space, for today, for Father's Day, for Juneteenth, for freedom that you've given to us, for life that you've given to us, for the dads in this room, for brothers and sisters in this room that have gone through a hard history, whether that's skin color, or families we come from, I pray that you would be in this space this morning and that we would worship you in spirit and truth, that we would enjoy the freedoms that we have to do this together collectively for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm going to put this on the screen, but if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to know, to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so we've said this several times already over the last few weeks that the aim of Paul's charge, he says, is love. And then he starts into chapter 2 this way. And as I read this, the main thing that I hear is that the Lord has called us to pray for all people. That is kind of the main theme in those verses, definitely in the first four verses. And there's three things that Paul uses here to define what that's going to look like for us or look like for Timothy, what he's telling Timothy is, to put attention on here. And so I just want to walk through that. I'm going to talk through three things. I put them up there. Um, I'll change the wording as I walk through here. But I really want to walk through those three things that are up on that screen, what I see Paul doing here in his writing. He says, first of all, so that's the first piece in our text. He says, first of all, where I urge you in the highest regard to put the utmost attention and energy towards this, what I'm about to talk about. And then secondly, he gives a very large-scale kind of a a cast net that's thrown out there, very widespread for all people, that we are to pray for all people, not just those who are sitting next to you that left the house with you this morning, uh, not just those that are hurting near you or that you personally know, but he calls us way beyond what our scope of influence would ever be able to adventure into, and he says pray for all people, and most of us aren't. Uh, rubbing shoulders with kings or presidents or anyone in that scenario. But he says, pray for kings and those of high positions. So that's kind of the second thing that I see in this text. And then thirdly, he tells us what this is going to look like. He says, your prayers should be full of intercession and thanksgiving, for it makes for a quiet and simple life. And so there's some, some content here to evaluate. Is my life quiet and simple? Paul is telling me it should be. Is it pleasing to God? A God who invites us into this salvation story that he has appointed his son to come at a very specific time. And the point of him coming was to, as we read back in chapter one, to save sinners from their sin. And this is for all people. So I wanna, I wanna tackle those three things as we look through this text. And that first thing, he says the utmost importance, Paul is placing this on prayer, And so I want to go back in that wording to chapter 1 because he says, first of all, then. And so he's referencing something. He means in light of, therefore, because of everything that I just said previously, then I want to put some importance on this. So if you will, just look over to chapter 1, what we talked through last week, verses 18 through 20 of chapter 1. And he said this. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so preceding our text in chapter 2 is, are these verses. And if y'all were here last week, Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare by holding to faith and a good conscience. And then he uses those two guys, which we talked a little bit about, Hymenaeus and Alexander, as a warning to say, this is why we hold on to our conscience or evaluate it, because if not, it leads to shipwreck. We wreck our faith. And so the reason that Paul is saying you have to have a clear and clean conscience is because it royally affects our lives a good conscience brings clarity it it illuminates what is good and right is what paul is trying to remind young timothy that we need to listen to this tool that the lord has given to us he has given us this and the holy spirit to remind us of things to point out flaws in our life to bring conviction which is holy which leads to repentance which is which is a good thing and when we don't do right things, then it convicts us there as well. And, and I don't think that idea is foreign to us. I think a lot of us has, have dealt some way with shame or sin or guilt. And the reality is that God, that wasn't his plan. If we look back in the garden, it was communion with the Lord. And that's where we're going. He's bringing us to completion, which is the beauty of why we wait for Christ and we pray for His return is because we long for that. I don't want this burden that I cannot carry on my own with me. And so when these things stop concerning us, and we don't allow God to handle the things, and we handle them ourselves, when He's already taken care of it on the cross through Christ, then we we start to rely on ourselves, we start to rely on other things. That's what we talked about last week. And our hearts and our minds aren't walking in faithfulness, But we become distracted, and we're hindered under this guilty conscience. And so what Paul is saying is if this isn't dealt with, he uses these two guys to say this is where we're going, right? We're heading towards the rocks. And when we act against our own conscience, it starts to eat at us. Where I began to ignore it completely, which is what we see in these guys from chapter 1, it robs what the lord has made for us. And and I think about myself, one of the reasons that a lot of pastors struggle to get up here is because we're not only preaching to you, but I'm preaching to myself. So if I'm saying this to you, then it's also for me. When I read God's word, it's not like, hey, here you go, but I it's also for me. And so it gets heavy when I've had a bad week and then I'm leaning into a sermon that tells me to be kind as the lord is kind, right? To be full of mercy that we are to stir each up, stir each other up towards love and good works. And if I have a week where I've royally, royally failed at those things, then I need to stop my sermon writing and go sit before the Lord. I, I probably need to go to my wife or my small group or my elders and just confess sin and be prayerful. We need to go to our kids at times and say, I'm apologize for my harshness for the way that I've just been tired and I haven't treated you with the utmost love and respect this week? And so if I don't stop that sermon writing process and I just get up here and I lord it over you, that's a bad spot to be because I'm ignoring what the Lord has for me and saying, do this and I just continue on. And so I miss out on what the Lord has called to me and then apply that to y'all's life. I don't think it's any different. As parents or leaders or coworkers or friends or neighbors, That's the call that Paul is giving Timothy here. And some of us might be dealing with that this morning, that constant turmoil. Maybe we're in the midst of a bad conscience. We've done things, we've ignored things. It's the thing that keeps us up at night, that we don't wanna walk through the doors on Sunday morning. I definitely don't wanna go as a small group, right? I don't wanna deal with people today. So Paul is saying that at the end of chapter one, if I am not submitting that to the Lord regularly and letting him be my strength and help and the one who cleans me up, then I actually kind of prove my conscience right. My conscience starts to tell me these things are wrong and I'm wrong and I just give into it. And it exposes maybe my fraudulent faith that I'm not dependent on the Lord and I'm more dependent on myself. And then that leads to what Paul said in last week—at least a blasphemy. I, I don't listen to the Spirit so much that I start to ignore what the Lord says, and I, and, I, and I say, "I've got something better." Oh, the Holy Spirit tells me that I've got something better, and we might never say it that way, but that's how we live our life in unbelief, in blasphemy, and disobedience. But the hope would be, as we're convicted, as the Lord works on our conscience, as He uses that in our lives, the hope would be that we confirm our faith through it, that we stop, that we do evaluate it, that we turn to the one true mediator, the man Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 5. And we change our behavior and let him fill in the gaps of our conscience, plugging the holes of our ship so that we don't sink. And so chapter 2 opens with The ways that the Lord fills those holes, that He shures us up, that He makes us a worthy vessel. And so that's why Paul turns the corner in chapter two and he says, First of all, pray for all men. Why why is that important? It's interesting. It's almost like it's just thrown in there. But that's the question I kind of want to answer today as we look at chapter two. How does prayer factor in our faith, in our conscience? And if we look at the total of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it's summed up in two commandments, Jesus says. Paraphrase love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And so if I take that, Jesus' words, and what Paul is saying here, anything that you do that is ungodly or unloving by your actions, either towards God or men, or not doing something because you're convicted and you don't act upon what the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to do, it brings a darkened conscience. So if we can kind of take that in and go back to chapter 1 and drink that in a little bit more, and then we look at God's Word, and it's a call to glorify Him and love people by actively cultivating this life that is stayed on His will and ways, then Paul says, we must pray for people. And so I want to look at that first thing, first of all, why this is pivotal. And I'm going to break that, that one down into three things as well. So first of all, why is prayer so important? When we pray, we humble ourselves coming to God in submission. We are acknowledging not that we are awesome, but that God is awesome, right? Right? Not that we have much to offer, but that God does. That's what prayer does for us. It aligns us with God's will. And so when we arrive there, then prayer begins to allow us to engage the maximum amount of benefit and love and grace and mercy on a person's life. That's beautiful. That's a great place to start. If you want the best for someone and God's offering it, why would we not go towards that? That I could try to give my wife everything that she needs, but I don't have everything that she needs. So why do I act like that? That you could try to help your neighbor out with everything that they have, but you can't. You just can't. The Lord is not limited, and we are. Uh, We could probably try to offer our hand to the White House. I don't know how far that would get us. Uh, You could go to Mr. Biden, or you could go to Congress, Mrs. Pelosi, and you could say, hey, I think I could really help here. I don't know that you'll be listened to, to be very honest. Lots of organizations out there that are doing great things, morally good things, and so you could offer your littleness, this thing that you can probably hold in your hand and say, hey, I've got this to offer, or what if instead, instead of taking the little good, we put it into the hands of of God, and we allow him to work, and then suddenly that little good is backed by the endless power and grace and mercy of a holy, loving Father. And if you think about Scripture, kids in this room, if you think about the Old Testament stories that we like to touch on a lot, uh, Job, Esther, Moses, Noah, if we get into New Testament, we look at the life of Peter, if we look at Paul, Paul. David is, also, is that iconic story that we. there's so many things in the life of David, but if we work down that list, that's what it is. It's these guys that, men and women that should have never been in that position, and yet God went to them and chose them, right? They're actually usually the ones that you think, well, don't use that guy, right? And then ironically, that's still what the Lord does. It humbles me every time to be up on this stage because I know this guy, and then I've got parents sitting there too and they know this guy. And then that's how we are together. I know y'all's stories. There's no reason why this thing should work, but the Lord is constantly working through us despite our limitations. And so first of all, Paul is urging you, Christ Church Kingwood, he's urging Timothy to pray that God would move in people's life and so tap into the maximum power possible for the people around you. For the people around the world. So prayer provides an avenue to the endless resources and communion with an infinite, all-powerful, loving Father. And he says this is of first importance. That's one reason. Second reason I see why Paul is saying this, that it's important or God's will to keep our consciences good by praying for other people, is it's not complicated. So one of the, the things about prayer is God has made it very simple for us to seek him. You can do it in your car. You can bless someone while driving in traffic or driving through a national park. You can do it in Texas. We have guys in Kenya. They're praying. They're actually on their way back. So they're making their flight from Amsterdam back to the U.S. They are praying. You can do it in jail. We see that in scripture. Uh, You could do it on the ocean. You could do it on the beach. It kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book as I was writing that out earlier. Or earlier this week. it's like, you could do it on a train? Could you? Would you on in the rain? It's like, yes, we can. <laughs> it is literally so easy that we could write a Dr. Seuss book about prayer, which is a silly thought, but that's how, that's how elementary it is, that the Lord has made it accessible. He has made himself accessible to all of us. And he's relational, that I have access to him 24-7, no matter if I am a king or I'm a nobody. If I have friends or I have no friends, it does not matter my status. That I can speak to God in my PJs and it's holy, right? That's beautiful. Before I even get out of bed, it could be the first thing I do and it is honoring to God. And so this is low hanging fruit. It's the reason Paul says this is of highest attention because it's not only necessary, but God has made it easy in its necessity. If we want to start by loving people, let's tackle the one thing that we can all do, right? Let's tackle that. It's not climbing mountains, and it's not going through a religious ritual, but we're simply communing, talking with God, praying for people. And if we can't do that, then how in the world are we going to do more? It's kind of what I see Paul encouraging Timothy. Start here. Start with prayer. And then third, third reason why praying affects our conscience and keeps us from shipwrecking our faith is prayer goes further than I can ever go. So not only do I tap into the power of God, not only is it easy, but prayer allows us to go wider in scope and affects the most people possible. So similar to the first point, it taps into the power of God, but now we're tapping into the the ability to affect the most people possible. I've I've used that analogy with Matt and Allison this week, we've talked about cast nets, and um, just that that idea of throwing out that net. The bigger net you have, the more fish you can catch, the wider area that you get to affect. And so our, our nets are limited. But when I pray, my reach goes further that the irony, I heard another pastor talk about this, it's kind of like when satellites were first created, we really couldn't send signals around the world. If you had a television show, you could only throw it to the next tower and down the way to kind of wrap it around. We could kind of go coast to coast, but that was about as limited as we got. But as you send a satellite up, it's kind of odd because you're sending it into the exact opposite direction of the problem or the thing that you're trying to handle. But then by sending it out, it actually gets more widespread as it's sent back out. And so that's kind of the analogy here of what prayer does. That instead of going and and trying to meet y'all's needs, or you meet mine, I go to the Lord. I send it away from you, and I send it to him to say, help, hear us. Or even to rejoice, to say, God, make this joyful. I'm so thankful for this. And then my mind goes to uh, our guys in Kenya. We've debated this trip for a while because a lot of times we think we could just send the money, right? It's very expensive to fly them there. But Marcus said, we need, we need the community. And so we saw a way that they get to go and they get to serve and they're encouraging those brothers. But the reality is that they have to go there to be that encouragement. And they're going to get just face value with three guys, but we are also all praying and that's effective. So I can't, we can't all board a plane and go and that's kind of how prayer works is that it's gonna take them another 24 hours to get home but I can pray for our brothers and sisters in Kenya now. I have access now. I don't have to spend thousands of dollars to get there or board a plane or send it up to a satellite. I just pray to the Lord and he's working on other people's behalf. So if we are not to shipwreck our faith, Paul encourages young Timothy to pray for all people because it ushers us into the power and love of God, because it's simple, it's easy, it's accessible, and because prayer reaches farther than anything we could do in our own strength and power. And so there's more ways. There's so many beautiful things in Scripture about prayer, but that's what I see kind of Paul opening this and ushering Timothy's attention towards. And then if we move on in our text... Paul says this, so not only is it important, but the second thing I see as we walk through this text is he makes a wide statement that prayer is not, it is to be made, it is to be made for all men and women and children, for kings and all who are in high positions. And so that's very specific. It kind of seems silly, a silly thing that I have influence on all people, but we do. We do. We often deny that and we get lazy. And my thoughts go to Tiny Tim. We offer up a prayer like, if I'm supposed to pray for all people, then God bless us everyone, right? But that's not what we're talking about. It's a great prayer, it's true. I want God to bless everyone. I can't knock that prayer. But if we look at the words of Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, we'll put that up. He says, so then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we would not do 1 Timothy 2 justice If we prayed, God bless us, everyone. Amen. Jesus says, pray for particulars, specific things, thanksgiving and intercession for your own circumstances and for people around you. For those who bless you and name those who curse you, keep them ever before you. Know your need and bring your need for daily bread before God. God, give us forgiveness and ability to forgive. We call to the Lord and we say, help us to keep a good conscience, to give us further in faith, fervor in faith, so that we do not wreck this boat into the rocks of death and despair, but keep our vessel straight. This is some of the prayers that Paul and Jesus are encouraging us. When your conscience is not in step with the Lord, we miss the blessing of going to God and enjoying his work and restoration for all people. And Paul knows that, and the temptation to dive away from ministry is tempting for me. I get tired. You guys are hard sometimes, right? I'm hard sometimes. My elders want to run from me sometimes, right? My wife wants to run from me sometimes. We're difficult, we're people. So that's tem- temptation to run away from this, but Paul says, stay close. And if we continue, Paul is giving us also the content of what to pray. And so that'll be the third thing. He says, your prayers should be full of intercession and thanksgiving, for it makes for a quiet and peaceful life. And prayer pleases God, for he is a God who invites us into his work. He desires all men to know him. It should be for all people because God is for all people. And he goes on to say, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And this is Paul. This was his personal testimony. But it's it's also ours, that God appointed us, which is what we could get into, and I don't have time, but where Paul is saying, I'm here for a reason at this specific time to do the will of God. And I'm not lying, he says that in there. But God has also appointed us at this time as parents, as grandparents, as friends, as co-workers, children, preachers, teachers, leaders, recovering addicts, children of God for such a time as this for the Gentiles, for those that need to hear the Lord, that once opposed God but were praying on their behalf, that they would see this and turn and repent and engage the Lord. And we have that opportunity through prayer. And so Paul paints this picture for Timothy, and we'll go on in the next few chapters. He he builds upon this for Timothy of why prayer keeps us in line with the Lord. But here he's saying prayers of first importance. So I don't want to miss that. I've kind of said that a few times. It's of first importance. It is for all people. And then lastly, in our text, he encourages us how to pray and what to keep in perspective while we pray, that the Lord has done much on our behalf, and this should be fuel for this. And so I'm going to ask uh, some of the band to come up, maybe just Alec, and, and play for us for a bit. And so what I want to do, a little different than normal, but I want to give us space to pray. And I don't want this to be, well, you know, we checked it off. We, caught, we, we read the text. We did what Paul said. Let's move on. But this to almost be an encouragement to continue to do this, uh, a, a call what Paul is doing constantly to Timothy to stir him up, to be reminded that you have a position to pray for all people, that it's not hopeless, that, yes, the world is in chaos. Yes, I'm frustrated with our government at times. Yes, I don't like what I see in different parts of the world. Well, we can pray. And so I'm just going to encourage you, if you would like, if you're a writer, uh, if you have something to write on, write during this time. I've put a stack of just blank paper in the back. There's a box of pens. If you want to go grab those right now, I'd encourage you to go do that. Um, You can get up. If you need to grab those for your kids, you can go grab that as well. And what I'm going to do is let music play. We're going to sit here for a few minutes. I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to put some prompts up that are very simple, walking along through our scripture, and we're going to switch that every minute or two. And so if you want to follow along with that, great. If you just need to continue in prayer that you've been praying all week, please do. If you need to get up, that's fine. If you need to kneel down, I welcome you to do that. And then the other reality is that some of you Uh, I think this is hokey and it's super uncomfortable, and sometimes prayer is uncomfortable. It might be a good moment just to go back and read chapter one of Timothy. Maybe that's your time. Go back and just read chapter one and read our verses today. I think that would be a good start just to allow you to see what God's Word says, and then I'm going to be praying that the Lord makes it real and that we believe this truth. So we're going to put those up and put the first one up. Just take a few short minutes and listen to the the prayer, the charge that Paul gave Timothy. I'll come back up in just a few minutes.